Welcome back to another Apex Nutrition Podcast. So, Kelly, welcome back, and uh, what's up for this week? Thanks, Ben. Uh, this week, we are going to talk about inflammation, kind of what it is, what athletes and endurance athletes especially need to know about it, and kind of what you can do about it. It's one of those words that's just floating out there, and uh, so it's kind of good to define it and, and talk a little bit about how it affects an endurance athlete and a mountain biker. Cool. And 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 like you said too, like a lot of us, everyone deals with it, especially yeah. if you ride a lot and nobody mm-hmm. knows exactly. We can't put our finger on it, so right, yeah. right, and yeah, it's a buzzword right now, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone's selling something talks about it. So, yep. so yeah, so I'll give you a simple definition and then we'll go through. And this one doesn't have to do specifically with athletes, but we'll expand on it and talk a little bit about what training does and how that. Uh, encourages inflammation. So inflammation is an immune system response to infection or injury. Excessive or prolonged inflammation can damage the arteries or and other structures and increase the risk of illnesses, further damage, and premature aging. So that's kind of where to start. Now, inflammation in small amounts is a good reaction that our body does when it's injured, right? Like we need our immune system to kick in and to fix whatever is injured. And so inflammation in that way is a good thing. It's, it's, it's the proper response of our body. So what we're talking today is more about chronic and excessive inflammation. So kind of if your body is always in a state of inflammation, you know, when we picture it, a lot of times we think of inflammation, the first thing I think of is, because I've had them before, is just sprained ankles. Like, you know, whenever you get swelling and you get redness or, or a cut or an injury, that's kind of the first thing that pops into my mind anyway. So what you want to think about with what we're talking about today is kind of that's at a system or a tissue level. So kind of think of that shrunk down to a cellular level, that your cells can be kind of in that state, that they can be injured and inflamed then and kind of in need of um, of some sort of remedy for them. So if you can think about it that way, and, and they're angry and they are not happy in this state. So, again, small amounts are okay. Chronic and lots of inflammation is not what we want. It's easy then to think about with an endurance athlete that we are kind of, you know, many of us who, especially if you don't do a good job or or can't do a good job of uh, recovery, that our bodies are problem are probably kind of chronically at this state. I don't know if you would agree that there are a lot of. I've seen it myself. (laughs) I can tell. I can tell on myself. So I. I know. Yep. Yep, it's right there with overtraining. We all know, you know, how you feel, that you just kind of can't shake feeling fatigued. Um, we all know also, you know, a lot of endurance athletes, you do, you kind of age prematurely sometimes. I, I often say that there's like a fine balance with exercise where it's promoting health. And, you know, I'm an endurance athlete too, so I'm right in here and I love every bit of it. But at some point you can kind of tip that balance to being actually to where it's kind of negatively affecting your overall health. But there are things you can do about it. And, uh, you know, when we talk about recovery and that sort of thing and taking care of your body, that's this is a big reason why. And this is also a big reason why a lot of my clients come to me, you know, late 30s and early 40s and that sort of thing, because this doesn't really show up earlier on in your life. Your body deals with it a little bit better. But as you age, uh, you know, maybe it's all those years then of training that kind of catch up to you and you kind of notice this more. So if you're listening and you've been in it for a while and you're in your early 30s, take care of it right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't push your body over to this to this area. So we're going to talk about a little bit what we can do, um, what we can eat, what we can what we should avoid, 
and kind of how we can reduce inflammation in our bodies a little bit and uh, just make them healthier overall. So, you know, we talk sometimes about nutrition on the bike. Now, I do want to start off by saying that nutrition on the bike and nutrition every day, I, I usually call it daily nutrition, but you're everyday nutrition when you're not on the bike, they're kind of at the opposite ends of the spectrum. They're very, very different. On the bike, we want things that are fast digesting because the last thing you need is something setting in your stomach, giving you stomach cramps and not getting into your bloodstream fast. You want things that are quick and, you know, sugars are necessary and um, are efficient and are good on the bike. And it doesn't mean that you have to have the crappiest, you know, chemical junk food ever on the bike. But it's all to say that off the bike, we, we pretty much want the opposite. We want slow foods. We want foods that have a lot of fiber, that stay in our stomach for a while, that make our digestive systems work a bit because this is all a good thing in our body that deliver the right nutrients. So just to put that out there, we are not talking about on the bike right now so much. We're talking more about your everyday nutrition and how you can reduce inflammation in your body, assuming that it's there because, like you said, we all have it. And with endurance athletes, uh, mountain bikers that go long, it's going to be uh, increased. So the first, thing, the first thing to do then is to first focus on foods that are anti-inflammatory then. So it's going to kind of tip the balance towards not the chronic inflammation. And how it does this is it actually increases the production of hormones that are anti-inflammatory. Pro-inflammatory foods increase the production of hormones that are pro-inflammatory then. So our immune systems are kind of always in this balance, and what we eat affects the system directly. So it's very important. So the most potent thing that's anti-inflammatory that we can eat is going to be fish oil. We talk about omega-3s, but there's a lot of different omega-3s out there. Fish oil is going to be your best source of anti-inflammatory omega-3s. And I know for all the vegans or vegetarians out there, it's like, oh. Um, and we'll talk about a few different ways um, to, to get in these omega-3s if you don't want to eat fish. But I'll tell you, for anyone who does, I think this is where you start. Now, fish that are high in, omega, in DHA and EPA, which are the, um, the two omega-3s that are most important to us as humans for um, reducing inflammation our fatty fish like salmon, mackerel, herring, lake trout, sardines, albacore tuna, things that you, you want a little bit of fat on these because, again, this are, they're omega-3 fats. So you're really, really lean white fish, which is great for you. Good source of protein, all of that. It's just not going to be quite as high in omega-3s. Yeah. Along these and lines... The, I think the most important thing is for people, you know, for, you know, I guess just me personally, but... Um, is to remember fat is not bad. Yeah, like not we've, at all. It's been, you know, since the nine, early 90s when it was fat free, <laughs> we can get a cake and be fat free and it's good for you. Like, and it's horrible but, for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, just to remember fat is not bad. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I talked, I touched on hormones a little bit. Mm -hmm. Healthy fats are one of the best things you can do for just having well-balanced hormones and kind of a, resisting that chronic fatigue and that overtraining. Fats go a long way to help with these. If you want to talk about what is bad, it would be more along the lines of sugar in your daily nutrition, but that's a whole other topic. Right now we are going to key on that fat is yeah. not bad at all for you and omega-3 fats from fish are super, if I can use the term superfoods or whatever you want to say, are are so important. I can't overstate how important these are. So if you are landlocked in Colorado like I am, 
you can't always get the freshest, best fish like this. And, and even for those who can, you know, we do have problems just because our planet is polluted. Um, so we do have some problems with both mercury and then also uh, chemicals that are runoff into any farmed fish. The best thing that you can do, in my opinion, is to go for the wild fish as much as possible. And then you're probably keeping it to about 12 ounces per week of fish just to kind of cut down on that exposure unless you just know that it's from this great, wonderful source. So otherwise, around 12 um, ounces per week. Now, this will get an endurance athlete about half their needs if you average that out per day. Um, what I like to see is 2,000 milligrams of DHA and EPA per day through fish or supplements with all of my clients. And there is a caveat. If you have any issues with your blood being too thin, which most of us don't, but if you do, you know, and something to talk to your doctor about, then that would be the one thing to key in on that you may not want to have omega-3s um, fish oil. Um, but otherwise, most everyone really should supplement it. So I generally supplement for people who do really get in 12 ounces per week. Not very many people do, but for those who do, you can do about 1,000 milligrams of DHA and EPA per day through supplement. If you don't get in enough fish, then go ahead and uh, increase that supplement to 2,000 milligrams. And again, it's a DHA and EPA per day. It's not a total omega-3s. So what you want to do is when you're looking at your bottle, is turn it around to look at the nutrition label itself, not the amount of milligrams it says on the front, but the nutrition label and see how much you're getting for your serving of DHA and EPA. And is there certain brands? Because, I mean... You can get, you know, if you go to like Costco and get a huge container or you can go to, you know, get different yeah. specialty brands. Is there something that, you know, a certain brand that you should go with or are we talking, you know, if you have the money, then do it and just do what you can kind of thing? What would you recommend? Yeah. For someone who who money is not a concern at all, I think something like Nordic Naturals is a really good brand. And there's a few, um, Barlands is, is another good brand. Um, those are great. Now, again... Within that brand, there's different ones that have more or less of the DHA and EPA per uh, per serving. So still take a look at that. The the key though with any brand is that you want really small fish. You want anchovies, sardines, um, mussels, sometimes shrimp or krill are used. Um, the bigger the fish, the more mercury it has because it's eaten a whole bunch of other fish that also have mercury. So that's why like shark is a really high mercury fish it's because it's eaten all that mercury. So the smaller the the fish, the bottom, you know, the ones that basically feed on algae, the better. So that's one thing you can look at. And most of them are going to be like that. If it has an off, horrible smell, that's not a good sign. Um, the way I take it and the way I try to convince most of my clients to take it is in a liquid form. Because for just one and a half teaspoons of the liquid for most brands, you can get your full amount. And that sounds horribly awful to a lot of people. Um, but I will tell you that my three-year-old does this every day. And, and how we do it is I, <laughs> is I uh, nothing like being the kid of a dietitian, huh? Mm -hmm. So I um, I put a circle of honey on a, on a spoon. I pour the fish oil in, and they suck it down, and they are, are thrilled about it. So that's an easy way to do it. That's how I do it, too, actually. And it's mm -hmm. cheap. It's more cost-effective that way. Some of the brands, you'll have to take, like, eight pills per day. I'm not into that. So you want to find one that's a little bit concentrated so in two or three pills per day or the liquid. Okay. And and are most yeah. brands, I'm assuming most brands, like, filter out, you know, mercury and that type of thing. But mm -hmm. is there something to worry about as far as that's concerned? Like if you're yeah, getting like, sure. Um, you know, a bulk container of it, is that something, you know, do they do that <laughs> or not? Yeah, most all of them will. It's hard to say, you know, a hard and fast rule there is hard. Um, 
people do throw out the terms pharmacy grade. That means basically nothing. Um, you do want to, to look for, yeah, it's just something to, to make <laughs> Natural, you spend more. pharmacy grade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you do, like I said, Nordic Naturals and Barleyans is are really good, reputable ones. Um, other things I look for, um, you know, that they do say that they've filtered things out, that it's a good thing to see. Um, the smell, again, is a good one to look at and the size of the fish. That's basically the, the keys I can tell you. Um, usually you'll get what you pay for, but it's hard to say that with supplements because sometimes, you know, people are just getting you to spend money. Mm-hmm. So, okay, the other sources of omega-3s um, that, that you see a lot are flax, you know, chia, walnuts. All of those have the vegetarian form. It's ALA. It was thought for the longest time that that was converted in our bodies kind of hypothetically in scientific models, that that was converted to DHA and EPA. The issue is, is in more recent studies, like in the last 20 years, they've found that only 15% at most is converted to DHA and EPA. So this is a bummer for all those people who are vegans or vegetarians who have counted on this to be their source of the DHA and EPA in the body. Um for someone who is allergic or who who doesn't want to eat fish, another thing you can do is you can buy sources of DHA and EPA that are from algae, algae directly. They are pricey and they aren't very concentrated is the only thing. I do think flax and chia um, and other sources of omega-3 that are vegetarian are great in a lot of other ways, though. The ALA has its own properties that are good, even though they don't necessarily aren't as potent as the fish oil. And they've got, you know, tons of fiber and antioxidants and Great other things. So don't just take this that I am saying that you shouldn't eat those. Mm-hmm. It's just that you want to get those omega-3s from the fish if you can. Um, other anti-inflammatory foods, ginger is a great anti-inflammatory. And if you do happen to have an actual injury where you're, um, you know, that you feel, especially like in your joints, ginger can really help because it works at the direct uh, site and level of joint cells. So um, I, I recommend usually to start off with those 500 milligrams of ginger if you want to supplement two times a day. Otherwise, just eating fresh ginger as much as you can. Um, ginger chews, adding it to salad dressings, eating it in stir fries, however you want to do it. Um, the more ginger, the better, really. Eating it in teas. We have a recipe for a tea that's an anti-inflammatory healing tea um, that can be put up. And I'll so yeah, those, and I'll link that in the show notes. So if you're wondering where you know how am I going to eat this ginger without chewing on a piece of ginger root, um, just mm-hmm. check at the show notes below and you'll see the the recipe there. Yeah, and I have a really good uh, recipe that I hope I sent you for ginger chews. Yep, which and those because are you're adding too. a whole yep. bunch of yeah, because you're adding a whole bunch of honey, those turn out to be a great thing on the bite because not only is ginger anti-inflammatory, it's very anti-nausea. So for any uh, riders out there who have a problem with nausea, ginger is a great way to go. Whenever their ginger can be ginger like that, then you got the carbs too. And we add a little bit of salt on top, and you are stuck on the bite. But anyway, the ginger is anti-inflammatory. Other things at the cellular level is um, anything that's a, a vibrant-looking fruit or vegetable. So dark colors, bright colors, things like kale and beets and bell peppers and broccoli. Um, the more of those, the better. Those have antioxidants in them, so it's not exactly anti-inflammatory, but inflammation and oxidative stress, which means that you have this long chemistry lesson, but just means that you have free radicals in your body. Free radicals are produced because of all the processes, the biochemical processes that we do with our bodies, just eating, sleeping, being, living. But there are more of those when you use oxygen more, as in training. So we have a whole bunch of oxidative stress in our bodies, and antioxidants quench that oxidative stress. Oxidative stress tends to lead to inflammation. So that is another indirect way to reduce it. So fruits and vegetables, you know, you've been told that all your life, and here's a good reason to actually do it. Um, the more you can eat of those, the better. 
So natural, whole, non-processed foods. You know, when you compare this to what do you get in, I don't know, whatever processed food, what, what do you get compared to fast food or Burger King or whatever? You're basically getting a whole lot of nothing when you eat that. You know, nothing that's going to help you. Compared to eating, you know, a good lunch with a fruit and a vegetable and a sandwich or, you know, whatever whole real healthy foods that you have that are fresh, there's always more to it. It's not just calories. If you've been told that, there's so much more going on in your body and so much more going on with foods um, than that. So just think of that. Like, how is this food actually helping me? Is it just neutral? Is it hurting me? Or is it actually helping me? Um, And that's a good reason to eat fruits and vegetables. Just because it's not bad for you does not mean it's not, does not mean it's good for you. Right. Right. Which I think gets lost a lot. Oh, I do too. And you know, that was one of the hugest things lost on me in my education was, you know, a lot of dietitians are so just clued in on calories and, you know, calories in and calories out. And that's kind of what we're taught. And even when you look at, you know, a, a big complaint about the food guide pyramid is that's basically all they're looking at and all they're talking about. Uh, there's so much, you know, left that doesn't talk about just real foods and live foods and even the fresh foods. You know, we could go into a whole other subject of what cooking does. And, you know, cooking is not always bad. Sometimes it actually increases your absorption of nutrients. But, you know, there's so much more to it. So just thinking of, you know, what, where did this food come from? Can I picture it growing somewhere or living somewhere if it's from an animal? And, and you know, how is it going to help me? Yeah, makes sense. Okay, now on to foods that will hurt you. In, in terms of inflammation. So the first thing that we are going to talk about is, um, you know, and some of these are kind of advanced topics and some of them are more obvious. First thing is uh, sugar. Sugar, refined carbs, and when I say sugar, I'm, I should also say any white starches. So these are basically the exact same thing once they hit your body. Now, whenever you are actively engaged in exercise, your body uses these without huge hormonal responses. We don't need hormones to to store these away when you're actively using them. So there is uh, a benefit to to eating them whenever you are on the bike, and we're not going to go totally into that, but there is a decreased detriment also. Uh, a lot of this has to do with hormonal response, and we simply don't need those hormones whenever we're actively exercising. When you're sitting around all day long at your desk or on the couch or, or wherever you are, um, and you're eating these refined carbs then, then they are inflammatory in your body. They tend to increase the hormones that we don't want increased. They tend to store fat, and they tend to kind of just be detrimental, making those cells angry. Another one is trans fats. So trans fats are those partially hydrogenated fats that you know, more and more you're seeing them get rid of them. I don't know what other chemicals. When you look at a processed food and, you know, they used to have this problem of trans fats. Now they've gotten rid of it, but they've used some other crazy chemical instead. This is kind of like what you were talking about in the 90s. You know, let's get rid of all fats. Now we increase the sugar. You know, you just don't have this problem whenever you're eating a banana. Mm -hmm. But whenever you are eating, you know, snack wells, fat-free, trans fat-free, you know, chocolate, whatever, then, then they usually are going to use chemicals and we're going to have problems. Anytime you see partially hydrogenated oil, any kind of oil, in your, um, this is when fats are bad. So whenever that's on the ingredients list, even if it says zero trans fats all over it, they're plastered all over it, they, it still has trans fats. The tricky thing about fats is that on a nutrition label, they get to round down. So anything zero to 0.5 is rounded down to zero. It's like this tricky math that no one else gets to use, and 0.6 to 1 is rounded down. So what happens with trans fats is even very small amounts are very harmful to us cardiovascularly, and it's mostly because it increases inflammation. 
So this is going to affect our whole body. It's just been tested most and shown up most in cardiovascular tests. Mm. So, so we're not even talking. Fat- we're not even talking performance wise. Yeah. We're just talking just walking around health wise. Yes, and, but that does definitely affect right. your fatigue and your recovery and your performance right, for exactly. sure. Yep. But, but yeah, so the sham fats are not something that you want very much of. They are naturally occurring in some things in very, very small amounts. But usually if it's, if you're reaching for something that is either fast food out of a box or out of a package, you know, kind of ask yourself first if this could have trans fats and, and take a look there. Basically how that all occurred too was in the 90s, like you said, when we wanted things that weren't saturated fats, they took a, a butter and they wanted to replace butter because everyone thought butter was so bad and they wanted to make margarine. Well, chemically they had to alter oil to be solid margarine so it would take the place of butter. That's how trans fats were invented. It's, it's a chemical process that alters an a liquid into a solid and it's all because we wanted to manipulate like our natural foods and instead replace it with margarine and now we have champ and then all of a sudden they're in every food product that's on the shelf and you know it's the so, funny part is we it, you used to you know a, a lot of us used to take open up the tub and spread it over everything. So we're taking trans, direct trans fats, spreading it right on probably a piece of white bread and chowing it down. And congratulating ourselves on yes. not eating butter. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but I know. Okay, so here's another one to rock your world, and then we'll kind of get wrap up the fats here. Mm-hmm. This one's tricky, too, and it's the same sort of thing. An overload of omega-6s is inflammatory in our body. So where do omega-6s come from? These are vegetable oils. So this is another one where we've been sold that these are the healthy alternative. Now, omega-6s are um, essential, meaning that we do need a small amount from our diets, but we get way, 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 way more than we need. And these compete directly with omega-3s for turning on and turning off inflammatory hormones in our bodies. Now, this one is kind of a little bit more advanced, but I'll tell you that it's super super important and there's an easy way to kind of reduce it. One of the main omega-6s in our food source is soybean oil and it's very cheap and it's in everything. Now, I'm not going to take issue with real soybeans like edamame. I don't really have a problem with those as long as they're non-GMO. Soy and everything, I have more of a problem with. It's not traditionally eaten that way, but soybean oil, when that oil is isolated, it is pure omega-6s. And it is enough to completely wipe out your omega-3s that you're even taking at 2,000 milligrams per day supplement as far as switching over your hormones. One of the biggest places I find this is in condiments um, that you buy at the shelf and namely salad dressings. So for all of us who are eating our salads like good girls and boys like we should be, but you're dumping on a commercial salad dressing, you're getting a huge amount of soybean oil and a huge amount of omega-6s that are competing with your omega-3s. So this is an issue. One of the best things you can do is make salad dressings at home with olive oil or just look for brands that have olive oil as their base oil. Hmm. So that, yeah, big pain hmm. the rear and, yeah, a big a big topic to throw out there. But those are the main ones to cut back on. We want to cut back on refined carbs, trans fats, and um, an overload of omega-6s in processed foods. You know, the, the real name of the game is to, to, as much as you can, not eat processed foods. To, I, there's no fast and easy answers, but the more you can either choose very good brands that you've really looked at, and I can help you with this, it's what I do, or to make things at home, the better off you're going to be in all of these areas. And can I ask you, this is for my brother. Um, yeah. That, you know, I'm sure at some point, and I'll make him listen to this, but um, <laughs> grapeseed oil. Like they use grapeseed oil and that's, uh-huh. 
from what I can tell and what I read, that's omega six as well, right? Yeah, it is. And so you know, I can bad. look up real fast. That, yeah, exactly. You know, basically all of these oils that we've been told are good. You know, starting from a lot of us, you know, now know corn oil is not the greatest, pure vegetable oil is not the greatest, but some of these other ones. Um, and the the reason why they can kind of get away with acting like they're good for us is because omega-6s, like I said, are essential. Whenever something, you know, has that label on it, all it means is that our bodies don't make it. We need it from our diets, and we need very small amounts of omega-6s. It is true. But we are way overloaded with it. And if we had natural diets that weren't full of these processed foods that use very cheap ingredients like we talked about, then we wouldn't have a problem. But we do because because of that. If we if we to be honest, if we still use butter from grass fed cows, we wouldn't have this problem too. So But what if it's pharmacy? Uh, yeah. What if the what if the oil's pharmacy grade? Pharmacy <laughs> grade. Yeah. Trans fat full because they processed it in a lab. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you gotta remember all the time when you're at the grocery store. The food industry is like a mega billion dollar industry full of people, I'm sorry, who aren't there for your health. It's money making. And, and that's what it, they're going to use as cheap of ingredients as possible usually to get the most money out of you. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth, um, unfortunately. So, so yeah, you know, and I'm not getting, uh, I'll try to see how much there, it, it's hard to even find the amounts of omega sixes in a lot of these. There's a really good book that came out. Um, in the past like five years where a dietitian actually really went through and started kind of bashing like the omega-6 and even the American Heart Association for not being on board with this at all and um, for still recommending vegetable oils. And uh, there's tons of evidence against it now. So, so yeah. I was going to mention just a couple other things. Um, so I think that, you know, is, is a pretty good thing uh, to start with overall. So the take-home message here is one, the, the more you can reduce processed foods in your diet, whether that's fast foods or convenience foods, box foods, bag foods, you know, unless it's like a pure ingredient type thing, the better with inflammation. Secondly, the more you will eat fresh fruits and vegetables to cut down on oxidative stress and then those anti-inflammatory foods like fish oil, chia, um, flax seeds, nuts, some ginger, all of those, um, the better. And then taking away those ones that are actually pro-inflammatory. So refined carbs, meaning refined white starches and sugars, um, trans fats, and then those omega-6s. One thing uh, that I will point out, because someone will probably point this out, our nuts are high in omega-6s. There is a difference, though, in your body when an, uh, an oil has been isolated, and it's like walnut oil or soybean oil compared to when it's in the whole food. Your body just processes those differences. When you take a walnut, your body has to break it down and really try to get at that oil. It's different than when you're pouring pure isolated walnut oil onto stuff, and that's a high omega-6 oil as, as well that people are paying a lot of money for. Hmm. Um, last Good few to things know. to say, yeah, that can really help with inflammation is there's a great new study that just came out recently how massage, deep tissue massage, decreases inflammation at the cellular level. And also for all those people who hate it, including me, cold water ice baths, you know, uh, when you submerge your, your, your sore muscles right after working out, um, 10 to 20 minutes in, in very cold water, that actually, those both in, decrease markers of inflammation in at the cellular level. Hmm. So get in there. How about just cold showers? Because I know I've listened to and read stuff on just, you know, like a daily morning cold shower type of thing. Is mm-hmm. that is that inflammation or is that more of like the uh, rest of your immune system or what does that do? You know, I'm not even, I'm not even positive. 
to okay. tell you for sure what that does. I, I've heard health benefits of it as well. And I think with the cold water, the ice baths, I think mostly that's doing it as soon after you've worked out as possible because that's when all those, um, like your immune function is kicked in because you've damaged all those cells. So you kind of halt that and then it somehow kind of flushes your body out afterwards when it warms up quickly. And it's not really my, you know, I don't even know if I should mention because it's not even my expertise at all. Mm-hmm. But those are two things to look into, that deep tissue massage and cold water like immersion. And it's got to be for a while, I think 10 to 20 minutes or so, that can really reduce inflammation in your body too. You know, I'm all about the diet, but there definitely are other things that affect it as well. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. And if, you know, if anybody has any other questions, um, you know, check out the show notes and, um, or get a hold of Kelly. And Kelly, how do the people get a hold of, and I will also put this in there, but how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, my, um, my website is apexnutritionllc.com. And I do run a daily blog there that I'd love for you to follow. It's the Feel Right blog, and you can link to it there. It's also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and, you know, these things are thrown out all the time there. Um, and the other thing is by email. It's Kelly, K-E-L-L-I, at apexnutritionllc.com. All right. Perfect. Thank you very much, Kelly. Yep. And Thank you. Uh, we'll look forward to the next one next week. Thanks. Yep. Sounds good. 